Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Eye of the Cricket by James Salis, read by Ray Shell. We're in New Orleans in 1997. His novel finished, his detective work resolved, his job ended, his son still missing. Lou Griffin's life has started to unravel. He leaves home with a cryptic message to his friend Don that he may be gone away for a while. Waiting only for the storm to subside, wearing old green jeans I usually reserve for yard work, a pair of blue and silver swayback knockoff Nikes, bruised purple flannel shirt over a denim shirt faded almost to white, and a well-worn, well-torn red T-shirt, green bandana tied at my neck. I left the house within hours of speaking to Don and leaving the message for Deborah. Instinctively, I headed for the river. If indeed there's something at our centers, how do we find our way to it? The doors that should lead there open into closets and storage places, onto dead corridors, back to the outside. Just off Chapatulis, above Napoleon, where train tracks shrug shoulders into the river's curve, I came across a group of elderly black men sitting on the bank around a galvanized tub of iced beer and a bowl of cold fried chicken. Plastic milk crates and cheap folding lawn chairs provided seats. They invited me to join them. Have some chicken. Help yourself to a beer. A kind of gentleman's club, I learned. They met here each day. We sat swapping stories around the beer tub as people once gathered around campfires. You remember that Reagan fellow? He taught for years at Xavier, history and economics. Everyone called him Professor one of the true heroes of our cause, along with Jesse Helms, of course. America's memory is short. Abjuring any sense of history, the nation eternally improvises itself. Highwaymen such as Richard Nixon disappear only to emerge years later as elder statesmen. A presidential candidate recently referred to Ronald Reagan as the best president this country ever had. All over America, jaws dropped. But... And this is the amazing part, just as many didn't. Yes, sir, we be retired, the most of us, one of the companies said. Fishing a beer from the tub, he opened it. It spewed, provoking general laughter. Well, we are all right, retired, tired and tired again. American dream word, ain't it, retired. By this time, chickens were nibbled down to dry bone. Beer had become a couple of dozen empty cans floating in tepid water, and fish, if indeed they'd ever entertained such, had given up any notion of biting. The group began dispersing. I bade them goodbye. I slept that first night under a bench in a pie-slice park or magazine. Early morning, I woke to the sound of a car idling nearby and a voice above me. Policeman squatting there, face through the bench's slats, looking all of 16 years old, telling me I'd best move along. Partner in the car, watching, hands wrapped around a plastic cup of Circle K coffee. You okay, sir? Sir? I guess some things do change. I nodded. 
You heard me, right? I began climbing out from under the bench, stiff and sore from the day's walking as much as from the night's cramped position. Hey, you okay? When's the last time you ate? Don't know how you guys pull it off here. He handed me a five. But it's for food, right? Nothing else. I thanked him. No problem. Listen, you take care, okay? He got back in the car. The radio crackled. They had the air cranked up high. He and partner sat watching as I moved away down magazine. The street turned one way and empty here. No one coming uptown this time of day. The whole city might be deserted. Lifeless husks of cars, shells of buildings. I was the only one left alive. That morning, as I walked by an empty lot on Lower Britannia, where an impromptu flea market had sprung up, I thought how much of my life these past 40-plus years since I came to New Orleans had been passed simply moving through the city, watching it close and reopen like some huge wooden stone flower around me, forever new, forever the same, and how much, on the other hand, passed as I sat afloat apart and alone, a distracted Archimedes in my room. All those years I'd believe I understood the city's real life, conceit of the worst sort. Whole generations of change had passed outside, fogging the glass with their breath as they peered in, some of them knocking at the pane. As I sat writing my own books and reading others, sunk in the dailiness of my life. Pascal claimed that all man's unhappiness arises from the single fact that he is unable to remain quietly in his own chamber, hedging the bet again. Appropriately enough, I thought of Handsome's hunger, how, on a gloomy wet morning, the novel's protagonist departs with his few yet unpawned possessions rolled into a blanket, promising in a note left behind to his landlady that soon enough, away from these distractions, he'll remit not only her due, but a handsome interest as well. I thought, too, of the immense sadness of Rambo's last letter, dictated to his sister the day before his death. I imagine her at bedside taking this down. Then, as Arthur falls back into pure delirium, I smell her soap-washed body, the stench of his decomposing leg, and sour acid sweat, unguents and incense set out to cover these, stepping to the door where Mother waits, saying, Perhaps he will rest now. Send me the list of fares from Afanar to Suez. I am completely paralyzed. Therefore, I wish to be embarked early. Tell me at what time I must be carried on board. That second night, I slept in the Faubourg's block of a park, wakened just past dawn by the rattle of chains being unwound from steel gates. Someone stood over me looking down. I heard his breath coming and going, smelled the cup of coffee he'd just drunk, traces of musk from early morning sex. Should he speak? 
or keep his peace. I started back up Frenchman towards the quarter. Forlorn horn from the river, just blocks away. Some outbound ship awaiting bodies. Tell me at what time I must be carried aboard. I went down to the river to watch the fish swim by. But I got to the river so lonesome I wanted to die. Oh, Lord. And then I jumped in the river, but the doggone river was dry. That whole day, I strayed through the city, seeing it as though, for the first time, fresh off one of the ships, without even language to contain this experience, codify it. A painter once remarked that seeing consists of forgetting you know the name of the thing that's seen. Soon, too, a sick fundamentalist ranting, recalling all those youthful Sundays back home, packed into my suit and clip-on tie, pantsuit polishing hardwood pews under stained glass windows, illustrating the parable of the talents, Jesus bringing in sheaves, the prodigal son, stone rolled back from the tomb. I'd been here before, last Thursday, following up on the list Richard Garces gave me, the guy who finally admitted, well, yes, he did kind of look after things, nowhere in evidence now, I noticed, had shown me around, guided me to boxes of books stacked in the hall by his own cramped room. It all looked substantially different now, of course. Perspective is everything. Lights Out was at ten. Then you lie listening to bodies turn on the spit of their memories, volleys of farts from newly challenged digestive systems, the occasional scream or convulsion, conversations so private that only one person's involved. You feel the rasp of coarse blankets monitor the thunder-like rumbling of your own bowels. You're asleep, then awake, then asleep again, but aware you're dreaming. Another border given way. Never more alone than at 3 a.m. Wake without reason. Night's face staring you down. ERs fill with patience. Men my age suddenly alert, certain that the pain in their arms a heart attack. Dim residual light from outside. Lash of car headlights. Someone moving below me. A voice. You okay, man? Come here often, do you? I reply. Regular soup kitchen, Sam. Yeah. Don't guess you know what time it is. If I'd had a brother, this was the way it might have felt. Parents elsewhere in the house. Two of us up here in the crow's nest holding out against the world. 318. Okay. So that morning light in the windows, only imagination. Too much night left. Name's Griffin, right? A beat went by. Two beats. Word is, you're a good man. What everyone says, what they don't know is why you'd be down here now, where you are. I give up. Don't know myself. My grandmother used to tell me how this collected come round, tell her records show she owes some arrears. 
He stayed to drink a cup of coffee. Then after he was gone, she lift up the napkin, find a five-dollar bill there. Neither of us said anything for a while, lay listening to the bodies around us. Grandmother raised me. Neither one of us ever knew where my mother might have gotten off to. Never developed much feeling for people. Maybe because of that, who knows? Mostly dog meat from my experience. Scrape out the bowl. But I purely loved that woman. One of our shipmates lunged past, bouncing from bed to bed, and fetched up against the wall, where he began sonorously throwing up raw meat smell of blood. Grand's life was hard. Wasn't much ever came along to ease it. We fell asleep again. Then five or so, some fool decided his destiny was to liberate whatever I'd squirreled away in my bunk and came rooting. I heard him four steps off. I just clamped a fist around his balls when a hand snaked down from the bunk above, wrapped hair about itself, and lifted. The would-be hijacker's eyes went round, feet half a foot off the floor. Yo call, my bunkmate said. What do we do with this piece of shit? What the hell? Turn him loose, I guess. You show? Yeah. Not much fun in that, is there? But he set him down. The hijacker scuttled away. Light had begun breaking outside, real this time, not imagined. We lay there wide awake. Be routing us for breakfast soon enough, my bunkmate said. You up for slimy grits, soggy toast, and half-done eggs? I've handled worse. Bet you have. Don't mean to impose your life and your business, but why are you down here? Trying to find myself. <laughs> Bad thing to lose. Have to admit it takes some doing. Or maybe not, come to think of it. Meanwhile, things had picked up in the kitchen. Smell that coffee. No better smell in the world. Spoken like a true New Orleanian. One tip for you, though. Okay. Don't touch the casseroles or macaroni. Pastor here kill you. It's documented. Well, I got a bad liver and a broken heart. Yeah, I drunk me a river since you told me apart. And I don't have a drinking problem, except when I can't get a drink. I wish you'd have known her, we were quite a pair. She was sharp as a razor and soft as a prayer. The city had followed Rambo's advice. Je est un autre. I is another. Or maybe it was just that I had become another, which I guess was pretty much young Arthur's point. Everything had changed because I had changed. The shape of the jaw defines what is contained. We can say only what language allows us to say. And to say more, we must change language itself. It was a quest A.R. finally fled, taking his sad doom refuge in Abyssinia. But he'd almost done it. He bent language almost, almost into new shapes before it sprang back. 
And now, I was in a kind of Abyssinia myself. Soon enough, I'd lost all sense of time. I might just as easily have been on the streets a week, six or eight weeks, months on end. Not that anything was lost. On the contrary, each moment was scored deeply into my memory. Days and time of day had become irrelevant. Only the moment mattered. I passed from missions doling out watery soup and day-old bread donated by Leddenheimer Bakery to others where we queue for beds. Take a number, please, till available spaces are filled. Shipwrecked victims awaiting allocation to lifeboats, to squatters' pads and abandoned, half-demolished buildings reeking of fresh human refuse and decomposing foodstuffs, to curiously medieval communities pitched beneath the vaults of Passovers and bridges and villainesque thieves' societies met in the cloisters of canal culverts. Days I walk, walk as though for the city to keep its existence not fade away, it must daily, hourly, ceaselessly be traced over, repaced, reaffirmed. One afternoon I found myself in Britannia, sitting on the steps of a recently renovated, still unoccupied double across the street. Through the front windows of my old house, I watched Zeke step from table to mantel and back again, speaking animatedly with someone out of sight, huge ceramic mug in his hand, an early dinner perhaps, just now finished. A hand and lower arm came into view, narrow wrist, slim fingers entwined about the stem of a wine glass. Then, for the second time, a police car cruised slowly by, and I knew it was time to pick up my bag of belongings and move along. Another afternoon, could have been the next, or weeks later or a month, I found myself sitting on the levee with a man whose face I knew. He had a bag of food he'd salvaged from the dumpster out behind Frankie's in the river bend, a melange of fried shrimp, garlic toast, pasta and fish, soggy forlorn fries, broccoli and carrots, even half a steak. I had a plastic bottle I'd filled with water at an Exxon station and four beers I'd filched from a car whose driver stopped off at Lenny's newsstand for a paper and left the windows down. I tore one of the beers free of his plastic webbing and handed it to my companion. Not in thanks, he worked the can into the dirt beside him, digging out a niche for it. On the back of a pizza carton, he carefully set out for me four shrimp, portions of pasta, three pieces of fish, fries, a watery mound of broccoli and carrots, and something else, Merlitton maybe. We ate. And when my companion held the empty can high over his mouth to drain at the last drop, I handed him another beer. He looked momentarily surprised, hesitated before accepting it. Obliged, he said, among the first words to pass between us. You a reader by any chance, I asked once we'd eaten a while. Like books? He grunted and took a sip of beer. Me, always did from the very first, early as I can remember. Used to hold them up in front of me. Couldn't have been more than four or five years old. Pretend I was reading. What I'd done was memorize them word for word. Yeah? Well, good on you. That's what Brits say. Good on you. My companion nodded. Good on you. 
His eyes peered into the middle distance, lost in memory. Doubled up for a time with a Brit. We looked out for each other, done for each other, you know. This was some years back. Nights we'd lie there and he'd start telling me all these things he knew. Things out of books. Greek plays, the late poets, Christopher Smart and what Sam Johnson said about him. Oh, Bertie Russell, we're the true hollow men, the stuff men, he'd say, headpieces filled with straw, rats feet over broken glass in our dry cellars and like that. Nigel, his name was, smartest man I ever knew I'm likely to. For a moment again, his eyes went away. Thing was, Nigel truly loved his drink. One day we were sitting at a bus stop on magazine, just getting out of the heat for a minute, you know, when a cab pulls over and a man in a pinstripe suit gets out to go into an antique store. Nigel says the way he always would, good day to you. And this stops the guy dead in his tracks, cause he's British too, you see. They talk a while and the man pulls out his wallet and hands Nigel a $50 bill. Nigel, he just sits there staring at it. Good on you, Nigel says to him finally. Good luck to you, Ta, the man says. We went straight over to the K&B on St. Charles, Nigel and I did, and we bought a gallon of cheap gin, another of bourbon, three or four six-packs of Valentine beer. Had them put it in proper bags and everything. I don't remember a lot else. Not much of a drinking man back in those days, and all that alcohol hit me hard. I came round sometime that evening. His voice sounded funny. Rest of this money is yours now, I guess, Nigel said. Eight dollars and some jingling. You've been a good mate, Robert Lee. I don't recall anyone else ever calling me by name. Not for years. I walked over there by him, and he was laying across the tracks, and the whole bottom of him waist on down. It was like one of them ventriloquist dummies. Nothing much left there, just this flat, floppy stuff. He'd passed out on the tracks, and a train had run over him. That I started by dames, it ain't like asbestos. It don't do nothing but rest us assured And substantiate the rumors that you've heard Look, I said after a decent amount of time had passed I don't mean to get too personal here Don't want to crowd you But I know you don't see how from the picture on your books the old man mole skull meat I won out four or five copies of every one of them gave away as many more to friends you are Lou Griffin he scooped up another mouthful of vegetables you think so washed them down with a hit of beer Griffin you say Griffin he shook his head I don't know. Maybe I used to be. My old man used to say, here in America, we could be anything we want to be. 
Yeah, right. But I don't remember much these days. What I do remember, it comes in spurts, same as my pee does. Can't even much say as I want to remember. Not really. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.